Did you know that there's not a sweeter song in the, in the years of our king and master that his kiddos would reciprocate the love that he's given us in Jesus? There's nothing really that moves his heart more, not your effort or your talent or your ability or your expertise or your knowledge or fill in the blank. What moves his heart is the response and the reciprocation of love. Did you know that? Isn't that liberating this morning? Nothing moves the heart of God. We say this around here. But when, when Adam and Eve sinned, did you know that the first thing that God did in the garden was he went after and looked for them? Did you know that? Did you know that his first response was to come after us? And so whether you're close to God this morning or you're far from God, He's, he's coming after you, so just get ready. There's a sweet presence of the Lord in this place this morning. It's going to be really, really easy to preach because he is our teacher. And where he is, things happen. But before I go on, I have to just say it's an honor to have my brother and friend, Doug Smith. Doug and Tanya, if you guys can stand up or raise your hand or something. I would not be in California. I would not be married to Haley. I would not have soon-to-be three children if a high school pastor... wouldn't have seen a bushy-haired, Afro 16-year-old. <laughs> I remember when Doug called me and said, hey, do you want to come out here and work? I had to, th I had to think about it for like 20 uh, milliseconds. <laughs> and... Uh, Did you know that there's really nothing probably more powerful in this world than when another human being believes in you and calls out greatness in your life? Did you know that? And Doug is a, a brother, a mentor, a friend who has always called me to greater. He's called me out. He's called me out always. And uh, they took a high school trip down here to Santa Maria just to kind of do a back-to-school retreat, and we had the privilege of hosting Hope Point. And so um, it's just really, did you know that it's a good thing to honor those um, who've made an impact in your life? In fact, I challenge you that as I preach, and if God brings their, their face to you, I challenge you to write them a note, even today. Someone who's impacted your life, who's, who's, who's discipled or mentored you. you. You can't hear enough that what you've done in the life of someone else counted and mattered. You can't hear it enough. Does anyone have someone in their mind you can just picture that you could give a phone call to today or a note or a Facebook? I don't care. You shake your head at me and I'll go on to preaching. <laughs> tell them. Tell, it, tell, it, tell them. Tell that person. 
it'll, it'll uh, really encourage them. So love you, Doug and Tanya and uh, Hope Point Church. Come on, Hope Point. Where are you at? We've decided just to steal all of them, actually, and uh, they think I'm kidding. Lock the doors. Last week, we started a another series. I'm just trying to figure this out, okay? So have mercy on me when we start series and then stop them. Just have mercy for at least the first year. All in favor, say amen or something. Amen. I'm trying to learn how to preach. So, so have mercy and get over it. <laughs> so we started our second series, if you've been with us for 10 weeks, last week. And we've been looking at the, the first calling of the disciples in Matthew 4, where Jesus finds the fishermen, and he says, come, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Did you see how many parts of the series we're going to do? Come, we did that last week, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. So after this, we're all going to Big Five. We're going to pick up our fishing pool, pool, poles and you think I'm kidding. Hey, we're real. We take the word literally at Cornerstone Church. <laughs> well, if you're with us last week, if not, you can check out the message online. But um, what we talked about in that first word, come to me, is we realize that in the Christian walk, we never initiate anything. God always takes the initiative. Let me say that again. God has already taken the initiative to come near to us, and it's out of that posture of coming and that movement into his world, into our sin, bondage, brokenness, that Jesus Christ, instead of hanging out in palaces with all the pomp and circumstance of his day, he got down and wallowed in the mud with us to show us what God is like, a God who's been in pursuit of humanity since the beginning. Amen. And it's in that pursuit of us that he turns and he stuns us while we're in our daily activities on the side, fishing or business or whatever, stay-at-home mom or dad. It's in the mundane muck and mire of our lives that Jesus comes up in pursuit of us and out of that pursuit of us, he says, come and follow me. Right. It's a stunning invitation. I've come to you, and the only reason why you can come to me is because I came to you first. Did you know that he loved us first, 1 John 4, 19? Did you know that? I did, it wasn't my idea to some wake up and go, you know what, maybe I'll give God a shot. No, God, from eternity past, saw you, knew you, loved you before one day came into being. And he saw you, and when he saw you, it wasn't with a grimace or a growl. It was with a smile and warmth in his heart, knowing he doesn't make trash, so you're his treasure. He loves you. He's for you. And it's out of that reality of the inv inviting God, the God of pursuit, the God who comes near, the God who's come close in his son Jesus, it's out of that place he asks for a response from us to come. Now, what are things that usually keep us from coming to him? Shame and sin and condemnation and fear. Come on, can you shake your head at me? Well, it just so happens that the one who tells us to come, that at every one of those barriers, he's overcome every barrier. There's no condemnation in Christ, Romans 8, that the power of sin is broken, Romans 6, 23, that the power of fear, Romans 8, 15 through 17, through the spirit of adoption is overcome, 
Come on, somebody. That at every one of our barriers and the things that we put up between us and God to, to give us license for not coming to him, he's actually already broken through them. And it's in that place, he says, come on, I got this. Just say, yes, come to me. Don't stay far away. Don't stay isolated or bound or in your sin or bondage or brokenness. All of those things are a bit of an illusion because I took the weight of the sin of the world, John 1, 29, and I allowed it to do its best on me so that now I can offer you free grace and mercy to make you new and make you whole. I mean, it's a good gig. That's why it's called the good news. I got a couple clappers, and that's cool, but that was good preaching right there. <clears throat> Thank you. I put this in my notes that anything, someone say anything, anything, anything good or life-giving is always a God initiative. Come. 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 And I'm convinced that we are to become expert responders. What do they call uh, police men and women and firefighters and ambulance workers? They are and so what if you and I became expert responders that when God initiates, we just say yes? Did you know that that's a sign of spiritual maturity? That when God initiates or woos or draws or calls or reveals or highlights an area in our life that ain't like him, that as we respond to his grace and his drawing, that's a sign of maturity. Instead of debating and negotiating, is he really calling me out of this? Am I supposed to live like? No, we just say yes. We respond. We receive and respond. And did you know that the, the reality of the gospel does not make you and I reservoirs of his goodness, but we're to become rivers of his goodness? Do you know the difference? Reservoirs, it's all about me and I'm good, me and Jesus. No, 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 no. He said rivers of living water, John 7, 37 through 9, are going to flow within every one of my children. Why? Because we live in a parched and dry, desolate land that needs the living water of Jesus. We're to become rivers, not reservoirs. Well, sort of the, uh, the business card, if you will, of every believer is Matthew 10, 8. Freely, say that with me, freely, I've received, freely I give. Come on, someone help me. Freely I receive, freely I give. That is your and I's business card. Everything I have is because he gave it to me first, so here, have some. So come. That was our first uh, yesterday, or last week. This week, it's follow me. Come and follow me, Jesus said. What a stunning reality. I just want to focus on this just for a minute or two, or 20. <clears throat> Jesus, I, I, I thought of this today and, and this week as I've been thinking. Jesus is our Lord. And what do you think of when you think of Lord. Help me out. Just say it loud. Don't be one of those quiet people. King. king. What's that? Someone, that looks over us. Someone who looks over us. King. Someone help me. Master. Master. Higher being. Majesty. Majesty. Cool. So that, think of that when you think Lord. Boom. King. Ruler. Boom. Come on, someone. Boom. And Jesus is also in Matthew 10, and in Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew 10, yes, it is Matthew 10, and in John 13, Jesus is also our teacher. So someone say teacher. teacher. And what do you think of when you think of teacher? 
an instructor, a mentor, a guide. I love it. Someone who, a counsel. Yes, come on. That's good stuff right here on the front row. Gold star. So in Jesus, you see, Lord, I'm the king. And then you see coach and mentor and guide and teacher. Isn't this something that it's held together in one person? How many know that lords usually are not the ones teaching? They've got people under them that go and kind of handle their business. They're just busy kind of ruling and reigning. Are you tracking with me? You don't usually see a lord and a teacher go together. A teacher, a lord because he is supreme and worthy over all, but a teacher because he's the example of what life really is supposed to look like. And the reason you don't see Lord and teacher usually go together is because Lords usually have all the power. And usually people with all the power aren't exactly the first to sign up to say, follow me and check out the under the hood of my life. And you're going to like what you see. Come on. Did anyone read the news or watch the news? Did you know that there are entire committees right now in our political system whose sole job is to go under the hood of each and specific candidate to try to reveal the truth of who they are behind the scenes? Did you know that? There's whole systems and teams trying to dig up dirt. And did you know what is utterly unique about Jesus is that the Lord of all power is also our teacher who fully exposed and lays bare his life and gives us access because power didn't get to his head or his heart. It freed him to be the servant of the whole human race in the world. You Listen, usually the power and exemplary living don't go together. I'm going to move on from the point if you understand it. So if you understand it, just say amen. amen. Very rarely do people with power want to be exposed because power and prestige have a way of gnawing at our moral fabric. Because the ones who have wealth and power very rarely, I know there's probably some exceptions, I just can't think of any besides Jesus, that very rarely those who have the wealth and power got to where they were without other people being at the brunt of their ascension and accumulation of excess and wealth and posture and position. Did you know that? That's just usually how it works. Power gets into us and the, 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 the allure to accumulate and amass and usually we'll do whatever it takes. I'm talking about apart from Jesus. We'll do whatever it takes to get it and to keep it. So what is so stunning about Jesus, the master, the Messiah, the king and Lord, is he has all of the power, but simultaneously he says, hey, follow me. You've got access to my life. You got access to my public life. You got access to my private life. Why? Because power doesn't get to my head. Power is what is enabling me to become the chief servant of all. You usually would never hear someone on a platform or a pulpit or ideology to say, hey, follow my example. Can you imagine hearing that from either camp? I'm not endorsing. I'm just saying, can you hang out with me and follow who I am and what I'm about? Can you imagine? No, you can't imagine it. It's exactly right. But this is what Jesus has done. There's never been a, a leader in history, nor will there ever be one like Jesus who, the one in whom power never tainted his morality or his choice or his posture, his obedience. He used power instead to lift others up, to go lower, to bring healing and the reality of the kingdom into the trough of the human condition. That's good news, I think. Amen. So follow me is what he's saying. Follow me. 
Did you know that Jesus spent his entire ministry in the low places? Do you guys know what I mean by low places? The places that you and I usually wouldn't go. Come on, hit your neighbor and say, I think I know what he's talking about. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're going to know in a couple minutes. Jesus spent his entire ministry and life in the low places, ministering God's love and grace to those who were deemed unworthy misfits who were far off by the religious elite and by the oppressive governmental regime of his day. Why? Well, Scripture tells us that Jesus is fully God, and as such, he is uncreated. He is fully God, worthy of the, 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 all the honor, worthy, honor, praise, glory. He's fully God. But Jesus, uh, Scripture tells us that Jesus, even in spite of his godness, he leaves his glory in place, the highest place that ever, anyone has ever trod or can go. He leaves the high place of his glory in heaven, and he comes and takes on skin, and he becomes a servant. The actual Greek word is he becomes a slave. He goes lower, and, and, and I'm convinced that the reason he can do this is because when he came and walked the earth, and he saw what we considered high places or places of power and prestige and, and, and popularity and fame, when he saw it, it nothing in it allured him because he's like, guys, that's not high. You, oh, look at you just building your little sandcastles. I came from glory. I came from heaven. And I'm convinced, beloved, that Jesus already knew about the highest place. And so, therefore, he came from that place of exaltation and glory. And he knew that all of our little made-up, propped-up, pomp, circumstance, pride, power, wealth, money, and grabbing games... He knew that all of it paled in comparison to what he left and what he was soon to go back to after he went to the cross. Amen. Amen. Listen, what is so stunning is that no, even, listen, when, when power gets to us, and it, we, some of us have experienced power in our homes or workplaces and whatever, that power, if it's unsurrendered, power sort of, it creates an entitlement complex. I'm not going to preach about this very long because I don't know anything about it. Thanks, Finn. You're welcome. I got my eye. Thank you. <laughs> the knowledge of his exaltation. Listen, the knowledge of his glory. The knowledge that the one who is the only one who's ever seen or known, the invisible, unapproachable one, 1 Timothy 6, 18, the one who was in closest relationship with the Father, John 1, 18, who had the one singular vocation and job to come into an orphan, bound, broken, dead, and sin world to perfectly model, exemplify, and reveal the Father. When he looked at our versions of power and our versions of luxury and wealth, he, he, nothing in it allured him. He already knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. There was no traction that could get in his heart. Therefore, when we know, listen, here's the implication for us. I'm going to get there and it's going to be good. When we know who we are in God, it won't allure us either because we know where we are headed to the place to reign with Christ. We don't have to be, we don't have to be wooed and drawn by what a generation says is success or power or glory. Because when we know who we are in Christ, we know that the one who went low to lift us to where he's at is that there's a place next to him with your and my name on it. 
And what a stunning reality that the knowledge of his glory, it did not create in him an entitlement complex. Jesus didn't walk around saying, don't you know who I am? I'm the creator. I'm the logos, the word made flesh. I'm the one who made what you're walking on, the earth. No, what it did for Jesus, knowing who he was, it freed him to be lowly and meek and humble, to be a loving servant, a slave of humanity, especially to those in the low places. So not only is he doing this with the wealthy, he's living this out with people who can't pay him back or invite him back to a party or vote for him. Or It's not the ones that you hang out with where you want the photo ops and taking the snaps for the newspaper. Are you tracking with me? He already left the highest place. He didn't need to grab or get or accumulate to get his agenda across. No, it was his selfless, sacrificial love that would speak louder than any king or emperor's edict or government general's order. And this confronts us to our very core. Can I get an amen? Amen. What Jesus did and the invitation to follow him, to what, in other words, what it means is, hey, guys, I'm Lord, so follow me, but I'm also Lord, your teacher. Learn from me. You see that? I mean, only in Christ are those two things held together. It's stunning. And so he says, come to me in Matthew 11, 29, 28 through 30. He says, come to me. Learn from me. Take my yoke. I'm always the one carrying the heavier load. You know what a yoke and oxen are? Are you tracking with me? You know, you know, I'm not a farmer. So if you know, then tell me after the service. Jesus is saying, I am inviting you not just to come to me, but to follow me. I'm your teacher. I will give you the inside scoop so you can pass the test with flying colors. Are you with me? The test and the reality of life being bombarded from every single angle that life looks like that or success or prestige or whatever. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. This is going to be a tricky road, but if you yoke up with me, if you come to me and then follow me and allow me to be Lord, I'll also be your teacher. We're going to make it through, not just by the skin of our teeth, but overcoming because I've come to give you life, life to the full. That's good. And I just want to look at one scene that sort of articulates the Lord and master and teacher who asks us to follow him. So if you go to your Bible, this is one of the most greatest ever. John 13. Go there with me. John 13. And we're going to wrap it up. It'll be quick. Just kidding. Doug told me I could do a three-hour service because he loved me so much. So (laughs) if you get mad, just take it out on him. John 13. You have to hear this. Listen, you got to tell what, you know, did you know how to be successful in Bible reading? Does anyone want to know that? Thank you, Sven. Yes, read it. But when you're doing your devotions, you're trying to abide in Christ and learn about his ways, it's important that when you focus on a passage, just go right before the passage to see what the context is. And go a little bit after the passage to see, okay, how did it play out? That's just a simple little tool, but it'll help you. So right before our passage, Jesus, Jesus is with his boys, and what happens is this. Some people who are from the other side of the tracks, you guys know what I'm talking about, people who are sort of on the outside of Israel, they're called Gentiles, the world, the world out there, the big bag world. It says in John 12 that some of these people from the world, they were like, hey, we want to see Jesus. Wouldn't that be cool if that was happening in our cities and towns? We want to see Jesus. 
And so some of these, these, uh, these Gentiles, these Greeks, are coming to Jesus' Jewish disciples, and they're saying, hey, where's he at? We want to see him. And something happened in that moment that triggered the divine timing of Jesus going to the cross because it's after the world wants to see him, he says, okay, time to go to the cross because the only way the world's going to see me is through my sacrificial death on the cross. When I am lifted up, remember the famous verse, I will draw, come on, someone help me out. I will draw all people to myself. And so when, when the world wanted to see Jesus, this is the context of our passage, I want to see Jesus. And he goes, okay, it's time. I got to go to the cross because the only way for my love and my salvation to become a reality for the world is if I go and pay the payment and penalty for their sin and redeem them, making, making my life a possibility for their life. That's the context. I love that that's the context because check out what he does in light of that. It was just before the Passover festival, which was the festival in Israel where they would celebrate their deliverance from slavery and bondage under Pharaoh's tyranny, where God said, kill a lamb that is spotless and put its blood on the door frames or doorposts of your house, symbolizing life for a life. That's how the kingdom and everything works, life for a life, your life for their life, the lamb's life and sacrifice so that you can be the, the, the death the spirit of death can pass over you. How many know that was a picture for what Christ was going to ultimately fulfill? Yeah. That the, the, the reality of sin is death, but grace is greater than sin, and grace was poured out when he poured out his life on the cross. Okay, so it's Passover. Jesus knows the hour has come, verse 1, for him to leave the world. Remember to go back to his glory and exaltation. That, keep in mind all that. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. I can't preach on that, but that'll preach. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. So the world wants to see Jesus, and one of his followers that's been running with him for, for three plus years is about to betray him. Do you think Jesus understands our human condition of heartache and relationship strain and reality? Come on. He's got the weight and the reality of his whole point of putting on skin, and one of his boys is a betrayer, and he knows it. Jesus knew that the Father, verse 3, had put all things, someone say all things, all things. under his power, whoa, and that he'd come from God and he was returning to God. Think about that verse. Now help me out. What does all things include? Come on. I need some people from the left to tell me what all things include. All things. Jesus knew all the Father. He had put everything under his power. He had come from God. That's the place of glory. And he was returning to God, the place of glory and exaltation. So the most logical thing he could even think to do was to get up from the meal, take off his clothing, and wrap a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Come on, somebody. Hit pause. Is that what kings do? I need a bigger response than that. Does that sound like what a lord would do? Verse 3. Jesus knows all power is his. Later in John's gospel, remember Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If I wanted to, I could call down like 20 million angels and wipe off Jerusalem from the map. I don't have a power problem. 
or a power uh, access problem. I'm the Lord. But do you see that the trigger response is that the world wants to see Jesus. Now is the time to go to the cross. But before, on my, on my way to the cross, I'm going to go ahead and defame myself a little bit lower. I'm going to do what even the most menial of slaves and servants would do in the house. I'm going to wash the stinky feet of my disciples. Do we see the movement here? The world wants to see me. The only way they're going to see me is if I become and I operate and live out the example of the servant of all. Do we Listen, that'll preach. How's the world going to see Jesus when we get all of our stuff together and we have the big and the glitzy and the glamoury and all the money and the finances and the websites and the apps and the blah, 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 blah? Or is it when the mobilization of God's army runs out as fearless servants of humanity? Can you imagine? The world wants to see me. Okay, Father, time to go to the cross. On my way to the cross, I'm going to do what not even the lowest slave would do in the house. I'm going to wash their feet because I am the Lord. And unlike the lords of this realm and this reality, I don't use my power to get what I want. I've used the power to free me from what I want so that I can be about what you want, Father. And when, when I'm about what you want, Father, it always results in life. It always results in liberty. It always results in mercy and grace and forgiveness. Come on. Always. And so the most logical thing Jesus could think to do with all the power is to go lower. Come on. Whoa. And this is the God who tells us to follow him. Does that sound that appealing anymore? Come on. We're being real. This is family time. Follow me. Well, where are you going, Jesus? I'm going lower. How about you? But if we're on your side, aren't we always going to come up on top? And Did you know that our system of what it means to make it and to come out on top, it's a little bit skewed, but that in Jesus, our Lord and teacher, we find out what life is really all about. Kings don't do that. It's what nobodies do. But this nobody just happened to be the king of the universe. Amen. And then Peter says in verse 6, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? You don't realize now what I'm doing, Peter, but later you'll understand. No, you'll never wash my feet, Jesus answered. <laughs> Unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. Did you know that when he calls us to come and to follow, we don't, we, don't, we don't stay in our stained and dirty and sinful reality, but that he has to wash us? Did you know that he washes us not with a grimace and a growl, but with a loving heart because he knows we weren't made for sin, we were made for him? And so Jesus looks at Peter and he goes, dude, I'm not just washing your feet. I've got to wash action. Those who are mine, I've got to wash I got to wash them. I got to wash them. I washed them with joy in my heart because I know that their created purpose was for me. Sin derailed the, the purpose, but I am the one who's getting this whole thing back on track. And so he says, Peter, you dude, I got to wash it. If you're my boy, my disciple, you got to be washed. Come on. In this warm water with good soap that has no pathogens or whatever. It's like, it's good. It's organic. It's that brand that, whatever. <laughs> then, Lord, look at verse 9. Lord, 
If that's the case, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, you are crazy, dude. Stop talking. You've already had a bath. I just need to wash your feet. I think this prophetically means that the reality is as we walk through life, it is a constant daily reality that we ask for God to cleanse us on our exteriors, that, Lord, that my attitudes, mind, my emotions, Lord, the way I treat people, I continually want to be scrubbed and clean so that when I walk out in the world, they don't see me but you. Amen. You're already clean. If you're a child, he has cleaned you. The power of sin is broken. But did you know he wants to keep us clean? And ain't no one get a free, get out of the scrubber pass. We need God to wash us. Okay, that'll preach, but you don't care. <laughs> Though not every one of you is clean. Okay, let's close this up. Peter, unless you receive humbly what I, am, what I have done and I'm going to do for you, you will never be able to continue this ministry of servanthood of cleansing, of washing. Peter, unless I do this for you, you're not gonna have a grid. You're not gonna know how to go out and extend this to the world. Did you know, again, back to point number one, God always is the initiator. We're always just responding. Did you get that? Don't, listen, I don't, maybe you came in here on a high horse and you thought, Chatty, you don't even know how good I am, dude. Even on your best day, you're a responder. Peter, unless you humble yourself. Did you know that to receive something takes humility? Have you ever had something where you try to give someone to something, they're like, I'm good? You ever had that? Yeah. Peter, I've got to do, you have to receive first. Everything in the kingdom you receive first. It doesn't ever start with you. It always starts and flows in me. Listen, look at this. Here's the phrase I wrote. We're always serving from first being served, loved, and cherished, and never the other way around. He is the one who initiates and sustains the servant's service. That was a cute one-liner. When we finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Here it is. Here's the question of all questions. Remember, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord. There it is. And rightly so, because that's what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, <laughs> you also should wash one another's feet. Here it is, guys. This is the God who calls us to follow him. I have set you an example that you should do what? As I have done for you. Very truly, and he gives us this little word picture. There is no servant who's greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one that sent him. Now, if you know these things, you will be blessed if what? You know more about them? You learn the Greek and you learn the commentaries. You learn about how to unpack the verse. You'll be blessed if this becomes the reality of your life. Foot washing sounds fun. Ushers, if you bring the bowls up. I was kidding. Don't bring the... Um, Closing remark. Come, follow me. And what you'll discover as you follow me is that my ways are not like the ways you thought a Lord would walk around doing.
As you follow me, you're going to realize that the ones with all the power, I kind of operate out of a different spirit than them. What you realize, young people, old people, or wherever you identify yourself as, as you follow me, inevitably, you're going to be forced to choose. You're going to be forced to choose yourself or himself, him. You're going to be forced to choose as you come, and it's free, it's mercy, it's grace, and you're going to follow him. Listen, whether you're a first-timer, second-timer, or 80th millionth-timer, there is always going to be a choice every time you wake up and you breathe new breath and new mercy wakes you up, and you get up, and you're going to say, am I going to live for myself today, or am I going to follow Jesus, because Jesus is always following in the way of servanthood. And the only way he could do that is because his entire life he never lived for himself but always for his father. And the only way he could do that is by spending time with his father, getting his heart, his agenda, his purposes, abiding in his love. And out of the overflow of what Jesus, the man, received, he extends to a hurting, dying world. Jesus is our Lord and he is our teacher. And this text that we just read was in the context of what we're going to end the service as. So if my ushers can come forward for real this time. At the end of the day, you and I do not have a servant problem. We have a self problem. Did you hear that? At the end of the day, if you're saying, Chatty, I ain't no foot washer. I am not a servant. I am, I am out. I'm in this thing for me. You don't have a servant problem, so don't try and go serve more. You've got a self problem that needs to be confronted with the reality of the cross. And out of the overflow of the cross comes resurrection life that frees you to serve, that frees me to serve. But how many know the only way from self to servanthood is through the ultimate act of service for the world, the cross of Jesus, the self-emptying act of going lower going lower, going lower. And out of that place, the father says, I can't resist. I'm going to go ahead and give him the highest place now. And did you know that if we spend as much time as we do trying to get the high places to go lower and to follow Jesus, we just might end up in the place we always dreamed we wanted. Jesus doesn't have a get you in the place of posture and power. He doesn't have that problem. He's just looking for some people who are willing to follow him to that place of self-emptying, not so that you lose yourself, but that in that place you actually find who you were created to be. But we've got to come to the cross. And the meal that we celebrate here this morning, the communion meal, is the invitation corporately to let go of myself and to agree and receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of his crucifixion, the power of his death, so that I too can become a follower who looks like, with ever-increasing measure, Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? And so, Lord, we pray that you would bless these few moments that we have together tonight or this afternoon. I pray that this would be more than just some crackers and juice But Lord, I believe you're speaking to some people here this morning that you are calling us to follow you, to go to the cross, Lord, to empty ourselves of our selfishness, sin, and pride, and to take up the cross. And then in that place, we discover who we were actually created to be in the first place. Thank you that you are the perfect Lord and the perfect teacher. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.